good morning. It is honestly a pleasure to be here. And I have to say, I'm excited. And do you know why? Because I get to be the first one to preach at Quincy Hall. Woohoo! Hey! Okay, let me calm down. This is Quincy Hall, not Dance Hall. Um, my bad, my bad. But I am so honored um, to come before you to preach um, the word today. So, as um, Pastor Seth said, we are in a series called How Do We Live? And this uh, message will be coming from a letter the second Timothy. So I want to turn your attention to the video that was made by Bible Project, and it's going to give us an overview of what we are going to discuss today. So please take a look. Paul's second letter to Timothy. This is Paul's final and most personal letter. He wrote it from yet another time in prison, and it's addressed to Paul's dear co-worker and protege, the young Timothy. Now, we don't know how much time exactly has passed since he wrote 1 Timothy, but we can see that Paul's situation has changed and for the worse. He's imprisoned in Rome, which could refer to his time under house arrest that was mentioned in Acts chapter 28, or it could be that he was released from that imprisonment, had another long season of ministry, and then was arrested again in Troas. Either way, Paul says he's in the middle of his court trial now and it is not going well. He's pretty sure he's not going to survive this one. And so out of this very dark situation, Paul appeals to Timothy, who it seems is still on assignment in Ephesus. He asked Timothy to come be with him in prison so Paul can pass on to him the church planting mission he started. The letter's design is pretty simple. There are two large sections where Paul challenges Timothy. First, to accept his calling as a leader, and then, before he comes to Paul, to deal with the corrupt teachers that are still causing problems in Ephesus. After this, Paul concludes the letter. So Paul begins by thanking God for Timothy and his family, specifically for his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. They immersed the young Timothy in the story of the Old Testament scriptures. They instilled in him a deep faith in the Messiah Jesus. And so because of that firm faith, Paul offers his first challenge to Timothy. He calls him to reject any temptation to be ashamed of the good news about Jesus or of Paul who's suffering in prison for announcing that good news. Now, the reason Paul needs to emphasize this is the negative stigma that he gained by his frequent times in prison. It made many of Paul's co-workers, in fact, doubt his calling as an apostle. He mentions two guys, Fugelis and Hermogenes. They deserted Paul because they were ashamed of being associated with Paul, who was an accused criminal now. So Paul asked Timothy to reject any fear of shame and to come see him. Now, Paul knows that this is a costly request. It could put Timothy at risk. And so he reminds Timothy that Jesus' grace is a source of power, which is really important. You're going to need it because following Jesus is not easy. It requires everything that you have. Paul likens following Jesus to enrolling as a soldier who's striving to please their commanding officer. Or it's like an athlete who's training their body for a competition. Or it's like a hardworking, dedicated farmer. All three of these metaphors involve a person who's committed to something bigger than themselves and who's willing to sacrifice and endure challenges to accomplish a greater goal. And of course, the highest example of this is Jesus himself. Because of his commitment to the Father, he suffered crucifixion by the Romans. And similarly, Paul himself is now suffering in a Roman prison. Hardship and sacrifice are inherent to the Christian life. And this is why Jesus' resurrection is the foundation of Christian hope. Or as Paul puts it in a short and very powerful poem, 
If we died with him, then we will live with him. If we endure, then we will reign with him. If we deny him, then he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he will remain faithful, for he's unable to deny his own nature. God's love for our world has opened up a new hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so for those who will take the risk of trusting and following Jesus, God promises vindication and life. For those who reject him, God will honor that decision and do the same. But people's faithlessness will never compel God to abandon his faithfulness. And so Paul calls Timothy to faithfulness, knowing that it may come with a cost. All right. Thank you, Bible Project. Um, our scripture will be coming from 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 6 through, eight, um, through 10. And I'll be reading from the New Living Trend, um, New International Version, NIV, and you can read from whatever version that you have at home, or you can follow along. So it reads, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this time that you have indeed appointed for us. Lord, I ask of you to stand tall in me, Speak through me, use my mind, use my voice, use my accent, and my quirks, and preach your word this morning. And I pray that your people um, are open to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to give you a little bit of background, if you don't know about Apostle Paul, on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, God met him. He was blind. And for three days, he sat in darkness. And God spoke to Ananias, who is a believer. And God told him to go and meet this man at the time he was named Saul. Pray for him. Lay your hands on him so that he can be healed, so he can see. And of course, Ananias was hesitant. He was like, Lord, uh, this man has a reputation of killing us Christians. And this is what God told Ananias about Paul. He says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Surely, Paul, well, Saul, now becomes Paul, becomes an apostle, preaching the gospel just as God says. He is preaching, 
have, um, doing signs and wonders, delivering people, casting out demons, healing the sick, even at one point even raised a person from the dead because someone fell out the window while he was preaching. And with all of that comes something that God also said is going to happen to him, which is suffering. And for Paul, he said that God has given him a lot of revelation, a lot of revelation. You have to understand, Paul wrote three-thirds of the New Testament. That's a lot of revelation. And this is what Paul says when he wrote his second letter to the Corinthian church. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So there's a pain, there's suffering that he's going through both outwardly and also inwardly. And God is saying, my grace is sufficient. And this is what Paul said that um, suffering has in our lives. It has a place in our lives. It has a purpose in our lives. And this is what Paul says in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4. He says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Suffering has a purpose. God is not allowing suffering, suffering because he's a mean God. But it has a purpose. Now, Paul is writing his second letter to Timothy. Timothy is the second generation Christian leader. And at this time, persecution has gone to a whole nother level. Not only the um, Jews and Gentiles were coming against this new belief, this new teaching. Now there are even teachers who are teaching falsely. So now there's two battles to be fought. People who are not believers that we're trying to convert, and then people that claim they're believers, but yet they are teaching falsely. And Paul, knowing full well about this, writes to Timothy the second time, and he gives him four things to do when he's faced with suffering, when he's faced with pain. And the first thing he mentions here is, is to stand up to it. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 7. It says, for this, re for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which means that the fear, the pain, the suffering can cause you to withdraw, can cause you to back off. And Paul is like, don't let that happen. You have a gift that's in you. You got to put that to work. It is required. It is needed. Don't allow this to make you shrink back. And he goes on to say, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Like God did not give you this spirit so that you can just back out. But this spirit will give you power. 
love, and self-discipline. And I find that so interesting. I wish I had time to go deep into those three things, but I don't. But it is amazing for him to say power, love, and self-discipline. And self-discipline to me really um, highlighted for me because now I know that I need the Spirit of God to help me check me. Like, I need his Spirit to tell me what I'm doing wrong. I am crossing the line. I have an issue right here. The Holy Spirit checks me. I can't check myself, so he helps me to self-discipline myself. So I love that. The second thing that he mentions to um, Timothy here is do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. And here in verse 8 it says, he says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In other words, you are not the only one going through this. There are other people going through the exact same thing that you're going through. And when you're going through pain, you're going through suffering, the enemy will make you believe, well, he will try to anyway, to make you believe that you are the only one going through this. And Paul is saying right here, you are not the only one going through this suffering. Join me in this by the power of God. The third thing he mentions here is to remember that you are saved for a purpose. You're not only saved from something, but you are saved for something. God didn't save you only so that, yes, and granted, you repent of your sins so you don't have to go through the consequences of your sins, but also to say you're also saved for something. God has a purpose for your life. He created you with something in mind. There's something he wants you to do on this earth. And you cannot allow pain, suffering, or fear to cause you to back out of that purpose. Absolutely not. Because if that's the case, then you have made spirit of fear your God. And Paul is saying, don't, don't let that happen to you. You're not the only one going through it. You're going to make it through. And there's something comforting. I don't know about you, but there's something comforting when you are going through something and you find out that you are not the only one that went through this. I remember when I went through my divorce and I was feeling, you know, some kind of way because, you know, divorce is not something that you wear as a badge of honor. And in my case... The reason why I went through divorce is simply because I said yes to God. And for the life of me, that did not make sense to me because I grew up thinking that, of course, God hates divorce. And so if you surrender your life to Christ, do the things that he asks of you, then he will bring healing, he will bring restoration, and your marriage will be okay. Because, well, you know, my marriage was rough anyway, but I was hoping that God would bring healing and restoration. Instead, the opposite was true, and I ended up being divorced. So I thought, man, is because I've never heard someone say they got divorced because they said yes to God. And I remember a, a year later, actually, 
I met a lady, we went out for coffee, and she was telling me her testimony, and the same thing happened to her. And I thought, wow, okay, so I'm not the only one. Met another lady as well that that happened to as well, because she finally recognized who she is in Christ Jesus, starts to walk in it. Her spouse did not receive the woman that she was becoming and left her. And I, I felt much better that I was not the only one going through it. Not that that's something great to celebrate, but to know that I am not the only one. And that brought comfort to me. And the fourth thing that Paul said is, you have been given grace. And I'm going to read um, verses 9b through 10. It says, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, I have to be honest with you. I remember um, hearing about grace, and I thought, oh, okay, you know, grace of God saved me. That's wonderful. Um, I am delivered, healed set free, never again should I worry about death. So that's wonderful. But as I begin to walk in this walk of following Jesus, I find myself so exhausted because I thought for me to do what God has called me to do, for me to obey his commandments, I have to do it on my own simply by my own, my own will. And then God had to teach me what grace is. And he's like, listen, grace is my superpower that I give to you so that you are able to obey my commandments and you are able to work in my purpose. And that honestly brought joy to my soul because there's no way I can do what he's calling me to do. I don't, I don't have the capacity to do that. But he has given us grace. That is the power that we receive when we receive the Holy Spirit to do what he is calling us to do. Now, I don't know if someone who's watching or is here has never heard of Chadwick Bosman, but if you haven't, he is a young, gifted black man who played Black Panther. And he just passed away two days ago. And it's interesting to me to find out that he has been battling cancer for four years and still was out there making movies, out there promoting movies. Now, he was diagnosed after he already shot Black Panther, but he was sick as he was going around promoting Black Panther, doing all the press conferences of Black Panther, doing all the award shows of Black Panther, and then all the movies after that. He actually did four movies after Black Panther while he was still sick. Now, I know without a shadow of doubt that was not by his will. It was by the grace of God that was on his life. He was able to get up day after day, after chemo, all the surgeries, still getting up and still doing what God has called him to do. 
Now, Paul says that suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. I don't know what kind of suffering or pain that you're going through right now, but I promise you whatever it is, is revealing something that's within you already. And God is allowing this because honestly, he does not want his children to be small brats. Yes, he is the creator. He owns everything. He created everything. But he does not want his children to be small brats. He wants his children to be loving, to be kind, to be gentle, to be faithful, to have self-control. And you cannot do that, unfortunately, unless we are placed in a season of pain and suffering. And how can you reach those that don't believe if you cannot relate to them? Jesus came so he can relate to us. When he died, was resurrected from the dead, he can relate to us. So it is for those of us who are his followers. We are now the living epistle of who God is. And people might not be able to go, not even think of turning to the Bible or watching a sermon, but they are watching you. They're watching how you're handling that pain. How are you handling that suffering? How are you handling that loss? What does Jesus look like in your life while you're going through something that is not colorful, that is not all happy or joy? What does Jesus look like in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your dark season? I'm going to be honest with you. One thing I found out about God is, our God, he is no punk. And he is raising children, raising believers, so that we are not punks. In the face of the enemy, in the face of pain, in the face of suffering. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying when pain and suffering comes, you know, you're smiling and everything is good and dandy. No. Feel your feelings. Feel them. But don't let your feelings lead you. Let the Spirit of God in you lead you. Let suffering do the work that it needs to do in you so it can look more like Jesus. So the title of our series is, How Do We Live? And according to this letter, we, faithful, we faithfully follow Jesus Christ despite the pain and suffering by his grace. That's how we as Christians live. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, and for your grace. Lord, we are asking you to please empower us so that we can keep following you because we know it is not easy, but we're asking for your grace, asking for your courage. We're asking for your boldness so that we can continue to walk, talk, and be like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.